Ladies and gentlemen, people of the internet, welcome back to yet another episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I hope you're doing well today. And if you're new here, every Saturday we start off the weekend right by breaking down the latest news and the hottest topics in the world of technology and cryptocurrency whilst drinking a cup of delicious coffee. Now, that being said, in today's episode, I'm talking about Ethereum's controversial EIP-1559, Cardano's price action and updates, Elrond, our usual 404 logic not found segment, and more. So make sure you stick around for all the updates that are in this episode. But as we always do, let's kick it off with questions from you, the awesome folks who watch my channel and listen to the podcast. And so if you want one of your questions answered in the future, please leave them in the comments down below. Tweet me at Hishoshi4 or leave them in the official Hishoshi Discord, which will be linked below on any platform you're watching or listening on. And of course, if you would be so inclined, please do subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell button or follow on your favorite podcast platform so you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee on Saturdays. So let's dive into these questions. Now, the first question is from Uncle Choppers. He says, Hishoshi, I'm hoping you can shed some light on this Nick Sabo issue on Twitter. He basically says that Cardano is far from decentralized because of trust minimization and auto update features. To us newbies, I don't think many understand this and scares people from joining the community. So I'm going to answer this question and kind of lay out the arguments for both, right? So first of all, I would like to issue this one caveat that uh, Nick Sabo, he blocks me on Twitter, so I can't see anything that he says. And so I didn't even know that this whole conversation was happening until someone actually sent it to me. Uh, Sabo blocked me because I disagreed with one of his ideas about one of Trump's policies. And of course, he didn't like that I didn't agree with him clearly. So I'm now blocked. I see nothing that he says. So just want to lay that out there. I only know about this because someone sent it to me. But and, and I say that because I don't know if there's been any follow up since then. I only know the original sort of tweet storm. Essentially, Sabo is saying that Cardano is not decentralized and it never will be because, you know, like we saw with the Mary uh, update, it's basically being pushed by a committee in the IOHK realm. So it's basically insiders in the Cardano project that make the updates, they develop the updates, they develop the code, even though it's open source, they develop it and then they push it and everyone sort of updates and, and no community really doesn't have a say overall in what features are created. So that argument is that it's really not a community run network. And the way that I would reframe that is to say, yet it is not a community run network yet one of the big things that people complain about on the cardano project is that it's very slow they've been developing things it's not up to you know up to par in terms of having smart contracts etc so people say oh it's too slow right so cardano has been taking a really slow approach and they've been redeveloping and re-architecting a lot of things from scratch and building things from scratch which obviously takes more time to put themselves in a position where they're having the community vote on and push for and argue about features that will be posted to get to the place where they're, they've implemented the white paper features would only slow it down that much more. And then the same people who are complaining about it not being decentralized will complain about how slow it is and how they can't get it right. So the way that I see it is let's let the Cardano foundation behind it, like the IOHK folks, Let's let them steer to the point where they get the network past the main uh, the main development milestones that they have planned from the white paper, right? Let's get smart contracts with Gogan. Let's get the Basho updates for, you know, for performance. Let's get the Voltaire updates for governance. And once we've gotten there, the Voltaire era, if you will, 
is the on-chain governance mechanism, which will allow the community to actually take full control and let IOHK step fully away. And then the process of updating the network and developing new features or changing features about the existing network will be in the hands of the community. So the path is there. It will be at least if you believe that this mission will be successful, it will be a decentralized and decentrally non-centrally governed network. Sorry, that's a tongue twister. Now, what I will say is that, and I wrote myself notes because I wanted to do this justice, but Charles Hoskinson, I guess the main figurehead, if you will, for Cardano, he's done a, a video explaining a lot of these you know, conceptual ideas behind how Cardano has done this. And I think it's very fair. And I think it's comparing to Bitcoin where you know, Bitcoin's main feature is it's stable. It doesn't change very quickly and it doesn't really have to because the use case is not necessarily to be a global payment network where the features change quickly. And so by that hand, he's kind of drawing a parallel between Cardano and something like Bitcoin, very different incentives, very different goals, very different use cases. And I think it's a very good conversation. So start the video, I'll link it down below at 11 minutes after you're done here, go check that out if you're interested in hearing more. But overall, I think this is fair criticism now, but I think Sabo is posing it in a way that says that there's no path to decentralization. Uh, I just think that that's short-sighted and closed-minded. And of course, if you really want to see the closed-mindedness, I disagreed with him on something and here we are. I can't even read what he says anymore. So I wouldn't read too much into these things, but thank you so much for asking this question and, and looking for answers. So I know that was long-winded, but let's jump to the next question. The next question is from Hector Louise. I'm a med student who's getting interested in crypto and programming or study, yeah, studying crypto and programming uh, outside of the Harvard computer science courses on YouTube. What is the next step? So if you want to be involved in crypto and programming, you know, taking those fundamental programming courses is great. But I think what people are always missing in, in, in getting interested in crypto and getting interested in programming is a fundamental understanding of cryptography. And cryptography is sort of the the foundational layer upon which cryptocurrencies are, are both named crypto cryptography and also how they work. And so I would go and I would look online for introductory uh, cryptography information. There are several books out there that are that are really, really, really good. Um, I think I can link up a couple cryptography books uh, in a future episode because I'm working on a reading list for people. So stay tuned for that one. Make sure you subscribe to get that video. Um, but there, there's a there's a ton of information out there. So I would study cryptography. And secondly, I would study game theory. And game theory is a huge area of study for, for people who are building cryptocurrency networks because it helps people understand how human beings interact in sort of this economic environment. And I would say that is the next big thing. So outside of programming, you know, and, and that the core stuff there, cryptography and game theory are two huge areas of study uh, that I would recommend that you take. So thanks so much, Hector. And also really good on you that you're uh, living in Venezuela, you have a, you're in a tough situation and you're, you're trying to sort of change things for yourself and, and make the world a better place. So I appreciate you. Now, the third question of the day is from Bob Wong. Do you think the bull run will end this year or will it continue because institutions are now buying in? Uh, Bob, in my last episode of Crypto Over Coffee, I believe I said, I don't even think the bull run as we know it has started because I haven't seen the same retail FOMO or fear of missing out that we saw in 2017. People are not yet you know, coming in with zero understanding of cryptocurrency and just buying up everything. Though NFTs, I think, are starting to kick that off because people are buying 
really relatively worthless NFTs for insane sums of money. And it's like the ICO craze in 2017, that bubble will burst and then really solid NFT projects that exist now and exist in the future will rise from the ashes. And we're going to talk more about that later in the episode. But I don't think that the bull run has really started yet, but I think 2021 is going to be the year of the bull run. And subsequently, there will be another period of consolidation and what we call a bear market after that. Um, and the timing of that, we, we can never guarantee. So just make sure you have your own risk management in order, your own profit-taking strategy in order. Um, and of course, if you need financial advice, seek financial advice from a professional. Thanks so much, Bob, for your question. And the last question of the day is from Halwa Bakery. Don't you think Cardano is going too slow to benefit from the Ethereum scalability problems, especially with all the rollups improving the network? Here's my thoughts on that. I think that Cardano is going slow, period. I really do think that Cardano's slow approach is good from building good software, but bad because they're losing out on opportunities to cap on market share, bringing in new users, uh, keeping hold of people who are fans of Cardano that don't understand what it takes to build software. It's a tough position to be in. That being said, I still think they're going to be successful. However, I will also say that Ethereum is doing a, you know, an interesting job. I'm not going to say good, but an interesting job of, of marketing some of the layer twos that are out there, marketing Ethereum 2.0 and keeping people interested in using Ethereum despite the insane fees. So I think the answer is somewhere in between. I think Cardano, if they can deliver Gogan in the second quarter of this year, they're still in perfectly fine shape to start maybe convincing some of those early stage DeFi projects working on Ethereum to come over to Cardano. But I think Cardano is really going to have to bring in brand new users and target different regions around the world that haven't yet been tapped uh, by Ethereum and some of the other projects. And bringing in new money, in my opinion, is always going to be better than just recycling the same market cap and users and developers that are already in the space to an extent. So trying to bring in new people. And uh, I think they're doing an okay job of that so far. So um, I hope that answers your question. But ultimately, if you have a follow-up, please reach out to me directly and I'd be happy to answer. So that's going to do it for the questions today. And let's dive into the news. Now, just a friendly reminder, please be aware of scammers that are in the comments on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on WhatsApp, on Telegram, all over the place pretending to be me. So on YouTube specifically, if the name is not highlighted in the comments, report them. It's not me. I will never reach out to you to ask for money, just to let you know. Now, as I do every week with the folks at Kobo, they make that awesome Kobo Vault wallet. I'm giving away a Kobo tablet steel seed phrase backup device in every episode of Crypto Over Coffee. And of course, all you have to do to enter is to comment on the video. Comment on this video and I'll pick a winner each week. And just for transparency though, the product is only available in select regions. So if you win and you're from an unsupported region, then I will just send you Bitcoin instead. So the winner of last week's giveaway for the Kobo is here in a random draw. So a big congratulations to you. And of course, I will be in touch. Now, of course, everyone comes to Crypto Over Coffee because we get this weekly Bitcoin update and everyone wants to hear what's happening with Bitcoin. So let's go ahead and start there. This week has largely been the epitome of a roller coaster. We've seen Bitcoin break back over $50,000 briefly before we being rejected back to the, the mid to upper $40,000 range. We've been back and forth in a period of fairly hefty volatility that usually causes panic among those who are over leveraged in the market or have gone full degen mode on leverage trading platforms. Of course, that causes losses for a lot of people when we have this type of volatility. 
And of course, this is why I don't recommend doing either of those things over leveraging yourself or using leverage trading. However, the outlook has honestly not changed in my eyes for those holding Bitcoin long term. If you zoom out a little bit, you see Bitcoin is still up several hundred percent from the last year highs. And of course, well over 10 times the price of Bitcoin during the Black Swan event in March of 2020. So I feel that fundamentally the signs point to longer term settling of this volatility, whether that takes us to the promised land of 100,000 plus, that's totally up for debate that no one really can predict that. But I do think about it this way, with companies putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet and then buying dips like Square and MicroStrategy have, record amounts of Bitcoin are being moved off of exchanges and the sale of Bitcoin by miners has dropped. This looks like consolidation to me. And it's hard to say for sure, but I'm one opinion amongst the masses and I am still very optimistic about Bitcoin in 2021. Sitting at close to $50,000 USD per Bitcoin, I for one am grateful and happy for where we are and I'm patient. I'll wait for what's to come. But I think acknowledging the fact that we've come such a long way in Bitcoin is, is a huge, huge benefit for everyone in this space. Now, for the Cardano fans, I want to say a big congratulations because native multi-asset support is now live on the network. And I've already seen a bunch of fun assets get created on the network. I've actually had people send me some, so thank you so much for that. But if you scroll through the list of tokens, people are already coming up with creative ideas for decentralized applications when smart contracts are fully launched here in the next few months. Now, I've got a really cool video coming up in the next few weeks related to tokenization on Cardano. Hopefully that's going to launch in March. So stay tuned for that video. However, attention has turned to the next big move for Cardano, which is the aforementioned Gogan updates, which will bring smart contract functionality to Cardano's mainnet and let people create decentralized applications with the tokens that are now available on the network. Of course, critics of the project are quick to point out that smart contracts are not yet available, and that's why the token price has retracted from its highs for 2021. However, the price action really is indicative of the inevitable cooldown after a pretty long few week hype cycle before the Mary update. And you'll likely see the same hype fueled price action in quarter two when Gogan starts to launch, followed by another subsequent cooldown in the price. And this is totally normal behavior. And we saw it with Shelly as well last year when the, you know, the hype around staking and, and incentives came to the Cardano network. That said, the future is bright for Cardano in my mind because there are some very cool projects coming to the fore on the network that are not necessarily waiting around for Gogan to start building their project out. And one of my favorite ones of those projects is Liquid Finance, a DeFi lending protocol not so dissimilar to Aave on Ethereum, again, one of my favorite projects. And Liquid Finance is working to give developers, users, and stake pool operators a way to earn yield on their ADA as lenders, contributing liquidity to the network. And subsequently, they want to allow users to put up ADA as collateral for a USD loan. Now, their native LQ token with a supply of 21 million is now live on the Cardano mainnet with the advent of the Mary Updates native multi-asset support. And smart contract development on the KEVM Solidity side has already begun, and they've been posting updates about this on Twitter. Liquid is wasting no time diving into work, and I'm very excited to see what their team can achieve when Gogan goes live with smart contracts. So please give Liquid Finance a follow on Twitter. I'll link that up down below. 
Now, over the last two years, there's been some rumbling of an overhaul to the overall fee structure and components of the token economy in Ethereum's proof of work network, what we call Ethereum 1.0 now that we've talked about 2.0. And this debate has largely centered around the controversy about EIP-1559. And EIP-1559 re represents this plan to address the insane fees on Ethereum, as well as the questionable tokenomics around inflation of the uncapped Ether supply. Now, the biggest talking point, though, for EIP-1559 amongst the community is that it will introduce a base fee burning policy, which basically means that the base fee in Ether for every transaction will be burnt or removed from supply, introducing a deflationary pattern for the supply of Ether. Now, this would, of course, make the supply of Ethereum more deflationary in nature. And when you say the buzzword deflationary, everyone in crypto goes crazy and imagines the 10x numbers for their favorite cryptocurrency. But I encourage you to see all sides of this update and this debate around 1559 despite that fact. So by deciding to burn the base fee for every transaction, which is calculated based on market conditions or demand for block space, namely scalability, this means that miners are no longer paid this base fee. Instead, miners will be paid majority, the majority in tips or overpayment past that base fee that users can pay to get their transaction validated faster. This will impose a fairly brutal hit to miner profitability in the range of 15 to 50% from best to worst case. Everyone's sort of debating these percentages, but that's what I found. And this, of course, has caused miners to largely stand in complete protest to EIP-1559. On the flip side, though, developers and casual users are in support because of the potential positive price action that we could see from deflationary Ether, the predictability of base fees in Ethereum helps developers, and of course, the hope for lower overall fees for users and developers alike. This has created, though, a relatively scary proposition where miners do not support the move, but the core community around Ether and Ethereum and its developers do. It's likely that miners will capitulate and they will inevitably accept this change, but not without a fight. So this could be a dicey period for Ethereum when this is pushed to go live, and a contentious fork could occur even if the end result is the adoption of EIP-1559. I remain unconvinced that this update will actually solve much of the transaction fee and congestion issues that Ethereum is seeing, however, despite the move to also double the peak capacity of blocks from 12.5 million gas per block to 25 million gas per block. It is still likely in my mind that Ethereum will remain at peak capacity and users will still be trying to outbid each other with tips on top of that base fee for transactions, which ultimately defeats the purpose of this update. Of course, this means that we are right back where we started with fee markets being just a battle for precious space in blocks. We are far past the point where simply doubling capacity will provide enough room for users to use Ethereum as they wish to. So this will not make Ethereum suddenly scalable and I really don't like when pe people pitch it that way. This is not a, a single magic snap to make the Ethereum network perfect. There's no guarantee that this will permanently or temporarily have a game-changing effect on fees for the average user. Could it? Yes. But will it likely? Maybe. Only maybe. Why? Because the whole EIP-1559 design is aimed to balance the base fee and economics to encourage the network to stay at 50% capacity, which is funny enough, right where we are today. 
So if we see usage rising constantly to the 25 million gas per block capacity, the base fees will increase to try and push that usage down towards 12.5 million gas per block where we are today. So this is clearly a band-aid fix, not a permanent solution. And candidly, as an Ethereum holder, I love the idea of deflationary supply for the price. As a developer, I love the predictability of fees and the idea that you have double the capacity in terms of variable size blocks, but that's not enough for me to say that I just unilaterally support this. Miners are gonna get screwed by this move and it's gonna cause this sort of fracturous friction between core development and miners and users and miners that I don't know is worth it. And I'm not sure it's gonna have the monumental effect on fees that people might think it will. I would love to be wrong on this, but this does not make the wait for Ethereum 2.0 all that much easier for users of Ethereum who are desperate for relief from fees. It will likely result in a nice pump of Ethereum's price, and it could have an effect on fees, but we'll have to see it go live to know for sure exactly what's going to happen. So keep your eyes glued to Twitter in July because it's gonna be a wild ride. Now, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for 404 Logic Not Found. And for those of you who are as of yet uninitiated in this little firecracker of a segment, I highlight notable tech-related fails or otherwise stupid moves in the world that need to get some attention. And speaking of attention, if you want to help this video or this podcast get some attention from the algorithm robots, please hit that like button, get subscribed, hit the follow button wherever you are because it tells those robots that you're liking the content, you're enjoying what you're watching or listening to, and other people might do the same. So thank you so much in advance for doing that. Now, today we're talking about a very real logical fallacy that people in crypto seem to fall into so very often and that is price obsession. More specifically, short time horizon price obsession, which is the worst of all kinds. Now, I get probably 500 questions per day across my Discord, Twitter, YouTube, and direct emails about whether people should be worried about Bitcoin's price or Cardano's price or Ether's price or whatever coin that may be. But let's just take for this particular segment, Bitcoin as an example. We're right now pinned below the 50K mark. And similar to what happened in the 30Ks, as we're trying to cross into highs, it seemed that resistance is heavy at this juncture of, of the sort of 10K increase that we're looking for. This makes people fear the future. The psychological gap between 48,000 and 50,000 is huge, while the real gap is only 2,000. It's relatively small. However, this fear is founded out of a tendency to focus on today and tomorrow rather than looking at the big picture. Though if you zoom out and you see Bitcoin is at valuations we had only dreamt of one year ago, many would have said that what we have today is impossible. Now, this is what people should be focusing on, how much we've succeeded already, how validated our hypothesis has been so far on the value of cryptocurrencies that we hold. Sure, we want 100K Bitcoin, I get that. But if you believe in the same fundamentals that got us to this point, then what's the rush? We have this feeling that we'll get to that next big milestone. My point is that people need to not spend so much time worrying about the price, especially in small windows of time. Who cares if we're locked below 50K right now for Bitcoin? Enjoy the ride. If you zoom out and smile about where we are and how far we've come and how grateful we can be for the prices that we have now, it, it's just better. And the instant that this becomes a daily stressor is the day that you lose sight of the ultimate goal of all of this, which is the huge positive impact that decentralized technologies will bring to society in the future. So if you're falling into this pattern of price obsession, you're looking in these really small windows of time and getting anxious about it, 
please recalibrate with a loving 404 logic not found. I mean, I've had to do this so many times for myself as well, where I'm getting stuck in the, this sort of negative pattern of thinking about price and worrying about the future, when inevitably I revert back to how far we've come and what the fundamentals are, and it makes me feel better. So that's my advice. Now, one of the bigger undertakings that I've been working on these days is a full tech talk review of Elrond, which is one of my favorite layer one blockchain protocols that are out there right now. And that means I've been keeping a close eye on the news surrounding the rapid clip of development in the Elrond ecosystem. And one such project that I think will be particularly interesting to use and to watch is Knit Finance, like knitting, which is a multi-chain DeFi project that is using tokenization to create interoperable synthetic assets across blockchain ecosystems. By integrating with Elrond's network, Knit Finance will be able to bring cryptocurrencies from other blockchains as well as other types of assets from the outside world like precious metals, property, fiat currency, and even stocks to Elrond users in the form of tokenized synthetic assets. Essentially, a synthetic asset can be thought of like a tokenized version of a real world asset. So let's just say synthetic Ether, for example, is pegged in value to Ether on the actual Ethereum blockchain, giving Elrond users access to Ether without having to physically access the Ethereum blockchain. You get the idea. You can already tell that knit finance and the synthetic asset mechanism is critical for DeFi development as you start to think about its use cases, which is part of the grand vision here. And not only that, but Knit Finance acts as a bridge to the Ethereum network where DeFi right now is king. And this will give DeFi projects on Ethereum access to Elrond's native asset, eGold, and any native projects and tokens that come to light in Elrond's world. And of course, vice versa, it gives Elrond access to DeFi on Ethereum. This bridge building and interoperability is the future of crypto. So I'm stoked to see that it's happening here in this context. Now, anyone who's spending time in the crypto space right now, though, is probably aware of the monumental hype and excitement that is centered around NFTs. So let's just acknowledge first that NFTs are in fact a massive invention. They will redefine the future of art, collectibles, property, and content. But right now we are in a bubble, much like the ICO craze of 2017, where anything that is an NFT is being purchased at absolutely insane, insane valuations. And this is a completely normal phase to be in, but please use your judgment on buying NFTs because there will be a major bubble pop that makes the large majority of these NFTs kind of valueless. And then those real value projects and real value NFTs will rise from the ashes. You've been warned. All of that said, I read about an NFT standard that is super appealing to me that I wanted to share. And it's one that I think will be majorly, majorly impactful in the future. And this project is being developed by the Consensus Web3 Studio team, and it is called SRNFT, which is short for Shared Royalty Non-Fungible Token. Essentially, this standard extends the existing ERC721 NFT contract standard to create a token that represents property, digital or physical, on which royalties will be paid to one or many owners. An example of this can be, let's just say, let's say music. When you pay for an online live stream concert, the artist and other owners of the music, like the label, take the proceeds and royalties. However, this business model has started to break down when content copycats take the show's video, for example, like the live show's video, and they post it for free on torrent sites or other content distribution platforms where royalties are not tracked and tickets are not sold. So this ownership you know, capability is sort of broken. 
the SRNFT model flips the script and makes purchasers of the content partial owners of that content, where they can then earn a share of royalties from the future sale of access to it. This incentivizes the legitimate owners and the, the ticket purchasers of the content to protect it and keep it off of piracy platforms. In many ways, it makes the ERC721 style NFT contract representing that content like a contract of ownership amongst the purchasers of that content. Whereas today, someone that watches a live stream says, I can get a lot of views on YouTube by posting this, and that's their incentive. This completely flips that. I think this model really has some potential, and I want to tip my hat to consensus for driving the thought leadership on this topic, because I think NFTs are just now starting to come into their own, and I still think it's going to be one of the major arbiters for adoption in the future. So I'll link up some docs on this standard below for anyone who might be interested. But of course, folks, that's going to do it for today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee. I want to first thank you so much for watching this episode and any other episode that you've watched or listened to. And of course, if you have some time to stick around, I will leave a link to a video here on the screen talking about my top three favorite VPN picks that you can use to blanket your internet traffic in a little layer of encryption. So thank you so much for watching. I wish you and your family a wonderful and restful weekend and week ahead. And until next time, cheers. Thank you.